Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. in the book of Timothy. That's what we're doing. So let's kick it off and let's start this study. I hope you had a wonderful, um, a wonderful, wonderful summer. We are tonight going to just study the first two verses in the book of First Timothy. My plan, my hope, my goal is that I will set it up well so that as the other men come, they can kind of build upon it. And so we're going to just be two verses and I know some of you, if um, you've never heard me preach, you think, well, we're not going to be here a long time. You could not be more wrong because for whatever reason, the shorter the verse, the more I like to preach. And so um, we're going to keep it. In fact, these lovely individuals who sing for us, I, I went and tapped them. I said, I love you guys. They usually sing three songs. I said, could you sing two songs? Because... Well, no, no, no. Look at the people. Oh, look at the, I know. I got you. Well, it was because, you know, Tony gave that, that thing. And I'm like, if, if, if we do the whole, all this, you guys will be here all night long. Which is, I know some of you like, we don't want to be here all night long. But, you know, some of them don't. So anyway, let me, let me read these two verses. And, um, and, um, and then um, we'll unpack them word by word. All right. Here's the first two verses of First Timothy. Here's what the Word of God says. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are the two verses we're going to be looking at tonight. Now, I've been thinking about a lot of different things as I was studying in this, and one of the things that I thought about was the fact um, that I have been um, a father for, man, 11 years now. I have got a son who is 11, and I've got a daughter who is nine years old. I love being a dad. It's one of the greatest blessings in the world. It's one of my greatest joys in life, seeing my children grow and mature. Now and then, I will get out my phone, and I'll go back to, say, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, and, and I'll look at pictures of my children when they were smaller. And, um, man, I get great joy out of that, and I get a little bit sad. I do, because, because there was a time, man, tonight, my son, for the very first time, he's over there in the Vive, right? He's over there, in, over there and, and so he's 11 year, years old. He's hanging out with those guys but there was a time, man, no, no doubt, there was a time when I could wrestle with that dude. One hand, I could throw him down, and then I could do whatever I wanted to with this hand. Those days are gone, and I'm sorry about that, right? And my daughter, I used to, I could, I could grab my daughter, and I could throw her in the air, and it was fun. And, 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 and I, get, I get sad that those days have passed, and I came across a picture. I want to show you a picture. I want you to look at this picture here right here. You see that picture? That's my daughter, man. You know where that picture was taken? In this very room. That's this picture, this very room. That's the first time my daughter ever heard me preach, and it's a weird deal because I'm talking and she's hearing it and she's, she didn't realize it, but uh, it's sweet. But I tell you what, it is also a great joy if you are a parent to see your children grow, right? To mature. 
It's what my wife and I have been laboring and praying towards, that they would grow. And by God's grace, they're going to continue to grow, and we're going to get great joy out of that. And so that's in the physical world. But I'm telling you, we're going to see in the book of 1 Timothy what is true in the physical world, that those who are young must mature. It's also true in the spiritual world, right? Like we want to see people come to faith, and then we get great joy of seeing them grow into Christ-likeness, and then growing on to tell others about Jesus Christ. Um, Second Timothy, Paul says it like this. Here's what Paul says. Look, the things, which I have heard, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So for the apostle Paul to reproduce himself was one of the central goals in his life. I believe it's one of the central goals in all Christians' life, right? And to that degree, the Lord used the apostle Paul in astonishing ways, right? He, he used people, him to make many disciples, and their disciples made more disciples. I don't know, I don't know. Maybe you, I hope you've had that same experience, that you've been able to share the faith with an individual and then have the Lord save them and then had the opportunity to walk beside them as the Lord grew them and then see them lead others to Christ. Um, I remember, um, this was when I was in Africa, this young man, I shared the gospel with him. He was a Muslim. The Lord saved him. And then I remember, so I'm leading the church, and the church is growing. Now, I love everybody in the church. I'm going to tell you, I love everybody in the church. I do, okay? But this guy, this guy, because I led him to the faith, and I'm discipling him, every time that he would share the gospel, and someone would get saved, I walked a little bit straighter. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, that is my boy. Now, you all my boys, but that's like really, really my boy. You know what I'm saying? And then, then, then he would baptize people. And it was hard for me not to show favor to him. Because I was like, yeah, you see, it's exciting. Then he became a leader in the church. And it is a joyous thing. And it's a, we see that with Paul, too. Paul leads others to faith. Now, 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 now real quick, in the New Testament... Paul did not lead every companion that he had to faith. I mean, he had, there was Barnabas, Silas, John, Mark, Apollos, and Luke. Now, he did not lead those to faith. But if you're, you're reading the New Testament, you're going to see there's many individuals whom the apostle Paul did lead to faith, all right? He did share the faith and people were saved. But there's two specific men that stand out in all Scripture above the others whom the apostle Paul shared the gospel with and then he discipled. One was Titus, the other was Timothy. Timothy was a really unique individual. Of these two men, well, let me just read, let me just read what the Apostle Paul said about Timothy. That's who this letter's to. I want to be setting up the Apostle Paul and Timothy, okay? Here's what he wrote about Timothy in Philippians. Let me read this to you. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Look what he says here. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, that's Timothy's, proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child. Only two people that, that Paul called beloved and faithful child. Titus and Timothy. 
And he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy is Paul's protege, his spiritual son, a a genuine reflection of the apostle Paul. All right? This letter and the second letter are to be seen, I think, foremost as a letter from one man in the ministry to another man in the ministry, but it's even more than that, this letter we're about to look at. I think it's to be seen as a spiritual father writing a letter to his spiritual son, okay? And in order to understand this book, and we're going to be going through it, I think we need to first understand Paul, second, understand Timothy, Third, we need to keep in mind the condition that is going on. You see, Timothy had been set to Ephesus. Ephesus had a church, but it was a church that had kind of gotten askew. Things were messed up. People were backbiting. People were preaching a gospel other than the true gospel. Into that, Timothy had been sent, and the apostle Paul is writing him this letter in order to set things straight for a church that will honor and function as God intended. So in, in order to understand what we're going to be talking about over the coming weeks, we need to understand Paul, Timothy, and the situation. And once we understand that, I think we can apply it to ourselves. So this tonight, I want to look at the writer. I want to look at the recipient. And then I want to look at the salutation. So let's look at it. All right? Let's begin. Let's look at this. The author of the letter. The author of the... So this letter is just like any letter. You're going to begin generally by identifying who wrote the letter. All right? Verse 1. Here's what we get. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Okay. First word. First word in this letter is Paul. All right? If you're a believer, if you've been in the church any time at all, this is a name that I think we were all familiar with. In um, Latin, it's Paulus. It's a common name. It's a really common name in Sicilia, and that's the area where the hometown of Paul was, all right? The word means little or small. It could be an indication that the apostle Paul was a small man ever since birth. We know that he did not have a striking appearance, we actually have a description of him. Um, a second century historian wrote a description of what he looked like. Now, it may or may not be accurate because he's writing what he looked like a hundred years removed from his death. Nonetheless, let me read to you what the man said of Paul. I may have it. I don't know if I have it up there or not, but I'll read it. He says, a man of a middling size and his hair was scanty and his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, one eyebrow, and his nose was somewhat long. All right, once again, this may or may not be what he looked like a hundred years removed. I don't know. But once again, this doesn't clash with what the New Testament tells us about him, right? Because the New Testament, what his critics said this, man. Look, they, they threw shade on this man. Look, 2 Corinthians 10, it says, his letters are weighty, and forceful, but in person he is what? He's unimpressive. He is not an impressive man to look like. Like God did not send a model, did not send a tall man or a man who had impressiveness about him. He was unimpressive. Very well. 
He very well looked unimpressive, but the Lord used him in a mighty way to spread the gospel to the Gentile world. A few more things I just want to pull from Scripture so you'll know, you may know this, some of you may know this, some of you may not know this, but it's altogether helpful to be reminded of what the Bible tells us about him. Philippians 3, 5 says he was born in a Jewish family. Acts 22 says he was a Roman citizen. His Hebrew name was Saul. He was named in Hebrew after the most prominent member of the tribe of Benjamin. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, King Saul. It is similar, it is similar to a family in Texas naming their son after a prominent man from Texas, Travis, right? That's the way we do it. Commander of the Alamo, you may not know that if you're not from Texas. But they called him Saul, all right? His first missionary journey, Acts 13, verse 9, they start calling him Paul. He had a traditional Orthodox upbringing. Philippians, he describes himself this way, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, he's a Pharisee. So this guy was committed, he was zealous, he was devoted to Judaism. Galatians, he describes himself this way. Advancing in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. Being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions, right? So he, he had a zeal for his religion, he had a zeal misplaced for God. So much so, we know that he persecuted the church. We know that he was there when Stephen was martyred. He hated Christians so much that he actually wanted to find ways to persecute them more. So he gets authority to go to Damascus to persecute the church. Gets his letter. He's on his way. Come on, it's a great story. I love it. He's on his way, and Jesus interrupts his plans. Praise God. Praise God. We serve a God who will interrupt your plans. Praise God. One day, Jesus said to himself, I'm guessing, I want to interrupt Travis's plans, and he did so because he does what he wants to do. And that's what he did. And, and in one moment, right, Paul struck blind. He's saved. He's called in the ministry. Shortly after, he's baptized. He goes away for some solitary confinement, kind of, we think, in Arabia. And then he returns to the city of Jerusalem, and he begins preaching the gospel. It's really crazy. When you read that, no, seriously, man, when you read that, you may sit there and think, how is it that a man who so zealously wanted to kill Christians now so zealously wants to tell people about Jesus? Well, it's not that unusual, actually. It's not. Maybe you have a similar story. I don't know, man. I remember, you get saved, man. You get saved. One day, you don't love Jesus. The next day, you love Jesus, and you want to tell people about Jesus. Man, I told you, you've heard this story from me, man. I'll make it really short. I remember, we're sitting there, and this is in Africa, Muslim setting. I'm telling this Muslim man about Jesus. The, the man doesn't love, he don't, he don't like me. I know he don't like me. I can tell, you can tell when someone looks at you, like, man, if I could, I'd kill this man. You know that look, right? It's not a fun look. I'm like, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to get the gospel. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the gospel out, and then I'm going to leave. That was what I did. I told him the gospel, I left. Long story short, the Lord saved him, all right? That day, I mean, I remember, the, I, I was there. I shared the gospel. The Lord saved him. Immediately, he says, amen. He looks up to me. He goes, you know what? I got to go back to my village and tell him about Jesus. I'm like, wow, that's a quick turnaround, right? That's what God does. 
And I told that man, I said, listen, he's a young guy. I said, listen, I said, listen, you don't, this is what I said, all right? I said, you don't, you got to wait. Well, just wait a minute, because you know nothing but pain, death, and destruction is relate, waiting for you when you get up there, because they, they they they're all Muslim, and they don't even take kindly to you. And he's like, okay, I go, wait, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. Let's, let's get some basics down. But I went back to see him the next day. He then went up to the, to the mountains to tell his family. But either way, that's, that's the apostle Paul, right? Let's look at the next words. So you got Paul. Look at the next one, two, three, four, five words. An apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle means that he was sent off on a commission to do something as one's personal representative with credentials furnished, right? We could say he was an envoy for Jesus Christ. He was an ambassador for Jesus. By the way, what are we? What are we? What are we? We are, what? man, I'm going to preach on this in a couple of weeks. Look, look, look. We are ambassadors. God saves you. You become ambassador of Christ Jesus. God making his appeal through us to the dead and dying world. That's Paul, right? But look at this. An apostle of Christ Jesus, then he next says, look, look, look. According to the, look at that word, commandment. It's a commandment. The apostle Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of God. That word commandment is stressing the apostolic authority. Coming to Paul is coming directly from the living God of the universe. There was no secondary mediator. God commanded Paul to do this. You're like, wait a minute, wait, here's the question. You might ask this, I'd ask this. Why, what? Like, 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 like this letter is written to Timothy. Timothy doesn't know he's apostle already. Why is the apostle Paul reminding Timothy that he's an apostle? Does Timothy need reminding? I don't think so. I don't think Timothy needs reminding. Timothy knows. Then why is the apostle Paul reminding him that he's apostle of Jesus Christ? Because others in the church would read this letter. And they need to know that Paul's authority is not coming from man. That everything contained in this letter is from the living God. And it is to be followed even though it may be difficult and it may be saying things you do not want to hear. I guarantee you this. I guarantee you. If you read 1 Timothy, I guarantee you this. If you come to any of these studies on Wednesday night, you will in no short time hear something. You're like, whoa. I don't know about that, because it sounds kind of, I don't know, I don't know. You will. But the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to know this is a, I mean, commission given a commandment by the living God, and what I'm saying here, even though your ears might find it hard to believe, no, even though you may not want to believe what is being said, you need to understand it's coming from the living God, all right? And in Ephesus, that church, all kinds of messed up, and so they need to know that. All right, so that's. The sender. That's Paul. That's our boy, Apostle Paul. All right. Who does he write the letter to? Next. Let's look at the recipient of the letter. And I'm going <laughs> to stay on this just a bit. To Timothy. Here it is. Here it is. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Okay. What do we know about Timothy? Um, scripture tells us a few things. His name means one who honors God. He was named by his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. They were no doubt devout Jewish women before the Lord saved them. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says that they taught Timothy, this is beautiful, guys, the scripture from the time he was 
a child. You can see the picture, right? A godly mother, a godly grandmother, getting their son from a young age, sitting before him and teaching him the scriptures. Thank God for godly mothers and godly grandmothers. I guarantee you, if I had you raise your hand, I tell you what, raise your hand if a godly grandmother has impacted your life, right? That's a, yeah, thank God. I'm not saying all grandmothers godly. I know some aren't, right? But thank God for godly grandmothers. There's power in that, all right? We know this about him in Acts 16.1. His father was a pagan Greek, all right? His father very well may have been dead at this time, but guys, you gotta check this out. As the son, this is Timothy, of a Jewish mother who had been saved by God and a Greek father, Timothy had credentials to work in both cultures, right? So check it out. God was working before even the salvation of Timothy in his call to the ministry beforehand, God was working, arranging things behind the scenes, giving Timothy certain um, cultural um, experiences so that he could later be used in a unique way to share the gospel with the Gentile world, all right? And that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. We got a God working behind the scenes. But here's what I want us to understand here today. I think what is true of Timothy then is true of everyone here today. That is every one of you, I believe, that God in his sovereignty has been working behind the scenes in a unique way to prepare you, gift you, use you, to tell unique people in this generation about him. Some of you have the ability to share the gospel with people who would not talk to me. And I know you think everyone talked to me. Some people don't talk to me. Man, Alan, I got, see, Alan, I haven't seen Alan in a while, so I got to just put Alan on the spot. Alan, Alan can do something I can't do. You know what Alan can do? Alan can fix cars. You know what I can do, what I can't do? I can't fix cars. I don't even know where, I don't, listen, Alan, Alan knows, I barely know where the engine is, right? That's right. Alan's like, amen, Travis, I know, right? Alan can talk to guys about cars. I can't. But God is using you, right? So we got Timothy. He's Paul's disciple, friend, co-worker, and spiritual son. By the time this letter was written, he had been with Paul about 15 years. And then the next word's in there. He says, Timothy, check it out, my true child in the faith. It means it's his real legitimate child. He had a legitimate faith. The word child, technon, means that Paul spiritually gave birth to Timothy. And so here's what I think, and I'm going to set on this a bit. Um, I believe Paul here is setting Timothy up as an example to you and I of what a true child should look like, right? And so I examine this, and, and I think there's at least five characteristics of a true child in the faith that we can see in Timothy that can be applied to men and women today. And I want to go through it. I think it's helpful. Now, there may be other characteristics, but I think in this passage specifically, we, well, actually in all of 1 Timothy, we're going to see five characteristics. And so I'm just going to briefly share these with you. A char- five characteristics of a true child in faith. One, I would say a true child in the faith possesses saving faith, right? I mean, you think, you think well, that goes without saying. Does it? 
Does it go without saying? Evidently, you can read the book of Ephesians, you can get in the Revelation, you can, you can read some characteristics of, of that church and, and you're gonna say, there's some leadership in there who did not know Jesus, love Jesus, or care for Jesus. They were not true childs in the faith. Their faith was not genuine. But Paul is saying here, Timothy possesses true faith, right? Paul testifies over and over again in this epistle that Timothy's conversion was real. Now, we don't know when Timothy got saved, probably, um, where was it, Acts 14, I think. Um, Paul, Barnabas, they go to Lystra, but that's probably when he got saved. But however, we're meant to see that Timothy's a true child in the faith. He's been born again. Two, a true trial in the faith, I would say, demonstrates continuing obedience, all right? The born-again man and woman will demonstrate continued obedience. Does that mean they're always obedient? No, it does not. Does it mean their life will have a pattern of obedience? Yes, there will be a pattern if you observe them over a period of time of obedience to the Lord. In fact, he sets him up. um, um, 1 Timothy 4.12 says about his obedience that he was an example to those who believe. So, so, so evidently, Timothy is living his life in such a way of being obedient to what he knows to be true about God in such a way that those around him could see his obedience and his continued obedience that it would encourage them. Third thing, another characteristic of a true child in the faith is I would say they serve in a humble manner. And that's Timothy. You're going to see over and over again, we're going to be going through this book, he is a humble individual, right? Um, 1 Thessalonians says this about him. He turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Um, No, that was the Thessalonians, um, but not Timothy specifically. The Christian life is a life to be lived out in stewardship of service. Um, Next, I would say, well, they have sound doctrine, right? A, a, a true child in the faith is going to have sound doctrine. Once again, does that mean that we're going to always be right with everything we say? No, but it does mean that we'll be a people who will continually seek to think rightly about God, right? We want our thoughts on God to be as closely as possible to the actuality of God, right? You do not want to entertain thoughts of God that are not true of God and so you got to study scripture. You do. Um, the apostles, the first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Timothy was a student of sound doctrine, in contrast to the false teachers of Ephesus who were not. So a true child in faith will adhere to and seek sound doctrine. Um, fifth and final characteristic that I have here is um, they lead with strong conviction. Those who make an impact for the cause of Christ may have, must have the courage of their convictions. Um, a, dead fli- <laughs> a dead fish can float downstream, right? No problem. It takes a live fish to go upstream. Um, I know this to be true. I can say this about myself, and I, I discover it more and more all the time. Um, I love preaching about conviction. Be convic- conviction, conviction. Have conviction. Do it. But, you know, in my own heart, man, I got to tell you, dude, I don't like conflict. I don't. You can pray for me that I would be a man who would not, um, you know, just uh, be a little chicken little. Sometimes I think I need to have more conviction, so I pray to this end. I want to be this end. Um, sometimes your convictions 
have to be so strong that it overrides the uncomfortability, I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I'm saying, of offending someone or hurting someone. I really don't like offending people. I I don't. But (laughs) the Lord seemed fit to put me in a position where I think every week I probably say something to offend somebody. (laughs) Everybody's so kind in the South, they don't tell me. They just um, talk about me over lunch. That's okay. That's okay, man. (laughs) I don't care what people say. I would much prefer people talk behind my back. Anyway, take that for what it's worth. (laughs) Um, All right. Final thing. Let's get to um, the last part of this. Um, We got Paul. We see, this, we see Timothy, these are two men. This is going to be this whole book, all right? I'm just going to pick up next week. But um, let's look at the salutation, all right? The final words. Here's what he says. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll look at this briefly. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's really interesting. Um, the salutation, grace, and peace is a really normal salutation for the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul does something really interesting here. He adds this word mercy. You're not going to really find that in other places. Um, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, they, he adds the word mercy. And, and it's interesting, especially if you don't think there's any accidental words in the Bible, and I don't. I think God the Spirit, through Paul, put the word mercy in there. And I think the reason why we see the word mercy here is because... He was going to need a lot of mercy dealing with this dysfunctional church. Um, These three words, grace, it it refers to unmerited favor and love and forgiveness. It frees the sinner from the consequences of sin. Mercy doesn't free us from the consequences of sin, but it frees us from the misery that often accompanies sin. And I need that too. I need to be forgiven and I need mercy that those consequences take care of it. And finally, peace. Peace is what results when God has given grace and mercy. Peace, peace, peace is the amen. Yeah, peace, peace is, you know, when you're getting in bed at night and you ain't worried about nothing, right? That's good, man. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna close my eyes. I'm gonna go to sleep. Why? Because I got the mercy and the grace of God. And I tell you what, mercy. And grace and peace is something we all need all throughout the Christian life. And then Paul kind of connects it all, finally. He says this, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He's stressing the deity of Christ Jesus. Um, One of the heresies going on in Ephesus at the time where they were saying that Jesus was not God. So he is once again lifting that up. So, 1 Timothy 1.18, um, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. And that is my prayer for us as we go through this book, that we as well would be a people who fight the good fight. And we don't fight a fight just to fight. Like I done said, ain't nobody liking no fighting. Ain't nobody liking no conflict. But I tell you what, we fight the good fight because there's people who have not heard. There's men and women who do not know Jesus And at times, we've got to fight the good fight to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the beginning of this beautiful book, this beautiful letter. The Apostle Paul is writing it to his protege, Timothy, who is in Ephesus. 
And he wants him to fight the good fight. Guys, I love you. And let's pray. And next week, I forget who, but somebody's going to pick up verse number three. Let's pray. Father God, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory that we can assemble on a Wednesday night. We can study the word of God. We can delight ourselves in song to you. We can delight ourselves as we study you. I pray that as we go out into the mission field, that you would encourage us and keep us, protect us, that we would tell many about the surpassing greatness of our Savior, Jesus. And we pray you bless the semester as we go through the study of 1 Timothy, that we would hear it, that we would live in light of it, and that we would enjoy you through it. And we ask this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and apart. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, We appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.